to the New Testament, to the book of John, in the 10th chapter. We'll begin reading in verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling, does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. And I know my sheep, and I am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Therefore my Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment I have received from my Father. Therefore there was a division Again, because the Jews, among the Jews, because of these sayings. And many of them said, he is a demon and he is mad. Why do you listen to him? And others said, these are not the words of one who has a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Thus far, the word of God. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures. Let us pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you and praise you for your living word, which is active and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, going down into our souls, piercing, as it were, bone and marrow, the more critically, the thoughts and intents of our hearts. Lord, we thank you that your word is a rule, a standard of truth. It is the word that reveals to us your Son, even as it exposes our sin. We thank you, O God, that in your word, we have the very words of life, even Christ, the living word. Lord, bless us now with the preaching and the hearing of the word, that Christ would be magnified and that we as your people would be encouraged, bound up, built up, strengthened to go forth and live for our God and King. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Jesus has spoken very directly about those who are seeking to do harm. They want to do harm to the sheep. We remember that Jesus is speaking about uh, us as though we are sheep. The image that he uses, he being the shepherd, we being sheep, thus we are considered sheep. Jesus says that there are thieves and robbers who come to steal, kill, and destroy. That is to steal from us, to kill us, to destroy us. Jesus makes it plain that we sinners are at risk. There are dangers all around. We are vulnerable like sheep, you'll remember that, I think it was last week that we mentioned that the sheep, about all it can do in its own defense is to run. And so we need someone who cares about us. And Jesus presents himself to us as the shepherd of the sheep, to whom the doorkeeper opens. And Jesus has declared in this text that he alone is the door for the sheep. When we enter through him, we are saved and sustained even by his provision. Our text this morning, Jesus continues to expand upon his teaching, adding that he is more than a shepherd. That's how he has alluded to himself previously, but now he declares he is the good shepherd. He is the good shepherd who gathers to himself a great host of sheep so that his flock will be complete. In order to do this, Jesus teaches that there's a cost. There's a great cost to be paid. 
if we are going to be gathered as sheep together into one fold, someone must pay the debt for our sins. Someone must die for our sins. We either die for our own sins or we need a substitute. And Jesus presents himself as he is, that substitute. Jesus is the one who will pay the sin debt that we as sheep owe. Indeed, he has. He speaks from the vantage point of about to go and do so. We look back and remember, he will satisfy and settle the account with our great and holy God so that all his sheep can be gathered into the one fold. But there are others who would oppose him. Previously, Jesus has called them thieves and robbers, but now as we move on to the text, he refers to them as hirelings, or as I've called them in the the heading of this one point, uh, the hired hands. They present themselves as caring about the sheep, but when danger comes, the, the hired hands show what they truly are. The actions of the hired hands stand in sharp contrast with the Lord Jesus Christ, his actions as our good shepherd. Scripture says elsewhere, by their fruits you will know them. And so it is, it becomes clear who the hireling is, the hired hand is, when danger approaches. And also it becomes clear who it is that is the good shepherd or serves him. It is important that we be able to spot those who are false and the one who is true. Those who Jesus sends to care for us, the sheep of his fold. We're going to use five main headings this morning. The hired hand, we'll take that up. Clear it out of the way rather than talk about the good shepherd, come to the hired hand and then move on. We'll go ahead and deal with the hired hand, the good shepherd, the good shepherd's fold, the good shepherd secures his sheep, the good shepherd and division, or we could say the division that Jesus brings. We begin with the hired hand. We took a note, uh, uh, we took note earlier in an earlier sermon that John 10 provides something, excuse me, something of contrast, stark contrast. There are those who keep watch over the sheep. We saw the doorkeeper back in the uh, verse 3. We find the doorkeeper. We find there's the shepherd who is let in, and uh, he keeps the sheep safe. They follow him. He knows them. He knows them. They know him. But then there were those who climb in over the wall, those who are termed by Jesus as thieves and robbers who come to steal, kill, and destroy As Jesus continues to expand his teaching on his relationship with his sheep, verse 2, you notice that Jesus doesn't call himself the shepherd, but he talks about he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. Speaking specifically about sheep and shepherds that would be familiar to them was certainly a reference to himself. And in verse 11, he makes it very clear in verse 11 when he says, I am the good shepherd. So we look there, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But, verse 12, but is one of those words of contrast, right? It conjoins two things, but there's a contrast. But there's something different. He's going to speak of something, some others different than the good shepherd who gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling, he was not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming And leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. Before we unpack this amazing statement about Jesus being the good shepherd, we're going to look, as I said earlier, at the hired hand. 
A hired hand is one employed by the owner of livestock. He's hired to help take care of the livestock. He would have responsibilities of not only protecting, but seeing to the feeding of the animals, seeing that they were particularly sheep, that they were let out to good pastures to graze upon and, and clean water to drink, to protect them, to watch over them. This would have been the responsibilities of the hired hand, a man employed to tend to the sheep. What we find here is a sharp contrast. The hired hand, for him it's just a job. He's, he's looking after the sheep in order to see a payday, that he would be advanced, that he would gain benefit. The hired hand does not own the sheep, Jesus says. He's made no investment in the sheep. It's not cost him anything for the sheep to be part of the flock. And he has nothing to lose if something happens to the sheep. As long as everything is going well, the hired hand will stay with the sheep, go about his responsibilities. But notice what Jesus says when danger is near. He says, when he sees the wolf coming, he leaves the sheep and flees. Suddenly it's very clear about the relationship of the hired hand with the sheep. Just at the threat of the danger, notice it doesn't say that the wolf comes and he goes out and gauges it and he realizes, oh, he's too powerful for me, and so he gives up and walks away. No, he just sees the danger approaching, and he's out of there. He turns and he runs, for he only thinks of himself. And the result is then that the sheep are unprotected. The wolf come in and does what he will. He seizes sheep, catching some and others being scattered, for all the sheep can do is run. Run away and hope to escape disaster, and indeed disaster for the sheep. Some are killed, some are maimed, some are lost. Why does the hired man flee? Well, Jesus makes it clear in verse 13. The hireling, or the hired man, he flees because he's hireling. He doesn't care about the sheep. Now, if you were someone, if you and I own sheep, this morning, we'd look at this story, and it would resonate. And you'd say, well, my application is, I want to hire somebody uh, who would be invested in my sheep, that would uh, care for them as much as I do, that would look after them and take good care of them. But, of course, we're not talking merely about sheep and livestock. The application here is that Jesus is talking about people, image bearers of the living God are valuable to God. And indeed, we need a faithful shepherd to look after them. And of course, in our case, sheep being part of a flock, a particular church, we would take away an application that we want faithful under-shepherds. Minister the word, the elders that serve and labor with the minister of the word, we want men who love Christ, who are full of the Holy Spirit, who love the people of God, who love the sheep, those who are called by Christ and gifted by the Holy Spirit to do the work of under-shepherds, representing physically, tangibly, presently, the work and the labors of Christ. They become the hands and the feet and the mouth and the ears of Christ serving in our midst. In this sense, we see something of the fulfilling of Christ. He says, Lo, I am with you always, even to the ends of the earth. We know that he has given us the Spirit, and that he as God is present in all the earth, governing in all ways, but we're weak. We have little faith, and Christ has provided us very tangibly in under-shepherds, shepherds to care for us. We don't want elders who are but hirelings. We want men who are steadfast and firm and committed. As I said earlier, they love Christ and therefore they love his sheep. 
And they will do their work as under-shepherds, though it may cost them much. And to be sure, the labor of an elder can be very costly. But also, the under-shepherds, as Paul writes in Ephesians 4.12, they are there for the equipping of the saints. That is, us, the sheep. The equipping of the saints for what? The work of ministry. For the edifying of the body of Christ. So there are hirelings. It's merely a job. I've been in multiple presbyteries. I've seen multiple men. I've seen men who are ministers of the word who turn out to be nothing more than hirelings. They're there for the paycheck, for the power, for the prestige. May God deliver us from such men. Well, secondly, we want to consider the Good Shepherd. Two weeks ago, we read from Ezekiel 34 at the opening of the sermon, and God was rebuking the faithful shepherds of Israel. So here we are in the 21st century with a problem that's as old as, what is that? Ezekiel is like uh, the time of the captivity of 6th century A.D., I mean B.C. So we're like 27 years, years, 2,700 years ago, there was a problem with faithless shepherds. God rebukes them. They were feeding themselves, just to sum up much of what's said in Ezekiel 34. They were feeding themselves and neglecting the flock. They wouldn't care for the sheep. But God said he'd remove those men from their position. And he promised, in verse 23, I will establish one shepherd over them. And he shall feed them. My servant David, he shall feed them and be their shepherd. Now let's just remember at the time that Ezekiel's prophesying, David has been king. David rests in the tombs with his fathers, according to his flesh. It's clearly a reference to David's greater son as we often find in the prophecies that Jesus is referred to as not only the son of David, but King David, my servant David. And God is promising to send such one that he would feed his flock like a shepherd, that he would gather his lambs in his arms and carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. Isaiah 40, verse 10 and 11. There are many, many, many references in the prophetic language or the prophetic scriptures concerning God sending his son as a shepherd. What we are seeing here as we hear what John has recorded is the fulfillment. The good shepherd that was promised by God has come. The one who would care for his sheep, who would gather his sheep, who would gather them into his bosom, that he would bind them up in their wounds and see to it that they were fed. It would lead them beside still waters and into green pastures. That one is present. When Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, all of Israel should have rejoiced. Lo, God has kept his word. That shepherd has come. But indeed, sin blinds. And it would be but by the work of the Spirit that there would be a people who recognize exactly who he is. Jesus is the fulfillment of these promises of God. Everything that is wrong with the hired hand then is seen in the opposite string of the good shepherd. We've seen some of the the uh, extremities here. But let's remember first, the hireling doesn't own the sheep. The good shepherd does. We belong to him. When danger approaches, the good shepherd steps forward to confront the danger and to protect the sheep. He does not flee. The hireling flees and the sheep are scattered. But what does the good shepherd do? He stays at his post. 
And if any are scattered or lost, he goes out to seek them. Remember how Jesus told the parable of the 99 that were safely in the fold, and once secure there, the shepherd recognized him. One was missing. He went out into the night and onto the mountains, seeking out that one lost sheep to bring it safely in with the others. Furthermore, the good shepherd will lay down his life for the sheep. I want to read a, a little excerpt from a book by a man named Philip Keller. Um, he writes late in life. The book was published in 1993. But he was a shepherd of sheep, literally a shepherd of literal sheep. And he describes in his book experiences of owning sheep. Listen to his voice of a man speaking like a shepherd. He said, they belong to me only by virtue of the fact that I paid hard cash for them. It was money earned by the blood and sweat and tears drawn from my own body during the desperate grinding years of the Depression. And when I bought that first small flock, I was literally buying them with my own body, which had been laid down with this day in mind. Because of this, I felt a special way, in a special way, that they were, in very truth, a part of me, and I a part of them. This made those 30 ewes exceedingly precious to me. You see, here's a shepherd. He was invested through sweat and toil. He secured enough money to buy 30 used sheep, and he felt a very part of them and a part, they a part of him. What you hear is the voice of a man who was truly a shepherd. He loved his sheep. They cost him. How much more has Christ paid for us? Matthew Henry says, Jesus Christ is the best of shepherds, the best in the world to take the oversight of our souls. None so skillful, so faithful, so tender as he, no such feeder and leader, no such protector and healer of souls as he. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. How far did Christ go? securing his sheep, keeping his sheep. It was to the very point of laying down his life, the greatest moment in all of history, when the Son of God came into the world, born of a virgin, he who knew no sin, coming to save sinners. Christ came into the world, punctuated history, divided history, the era before him, and then that era since his coming, he came into the world to purchase his people with his own blood. As the God-man, Jesus Christ went to the cross in order for him to be the shepherd of the sheep, in order that he could gather them from the many places into his one fold, it was necessary that Jesus lay down his life. The shepherd that we heard of earlier, Philip, said that you know, with his blood and sweat and tears, he felt that they were a part of him. Jesus spilled his blood to cleanse us from our sin. Jesus gave his life that we might live. It cost him to become our shepherd How much of a great shepherd is he? That he would die. He would die the death that we deserve. We guilty sinners before a holy God. We deserving the wrath of God. Jesus Christ died the death we deserve. He died in our place. His words speak of the substitution that he gave. He, in our place, he died for his sheep. There's never been a more noble shepherd than the Lord Jesus Christ. It wasn't merely to protect us from thieves and robbers, but to deliver us from the greatest danger of all, the wrath of God for sin. Jesus died to save us from sin. 
You see, it was this reason the Father sent his Son into the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. He gave him to be the shepherd. He gave him that he would die. Jesus had made a covenant with the Father before time began that the righteous requirements of the Trinity, one God and three persons, would be satisfied. You see, when Jesus was dying on the cross, he was dying in his humanity, but in his deity, he's one with the Father, that he is offended in his righteousness. His justice also was being meted out. There's, there's a mystery and a wonder in that. God was united in the punishing of sin in the Savior. And Jesus had made a covenant. Some call it a covenant of peace between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit before time began that he would be that one. You think about with me for a moment the the human shepherd spending his nights out in the wild with the sheep. He knows that he will have to defend them. Uh, He knows that some night a bear, a wolf might come. That's a possibility. And that he will have to do battle with that one who comes to do harm. It may never happen. Some shepherds may spend their careers keeping sheep and never yet have to defend them. But when we consider the Lord Jesus Christ, it was a certainty that he came to die. He came knowing that he must go to the cross. And he went and did so willingly, as we'll see here in a moment. We're sinners. And we needed a Redeemer who was willing to die in our place. And Jesus was just such a one. As a good shepherd, Jesus also lived his life for his sheep, that we would have his righteous account for our record. But then he also died for our unrighteous account, that God's wrath would be satisfied, that we would be free from sin, death, and hell. The good shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, he came to save his own. It wasn't hypothetical as some have suggested. He didn't come just to provide the mere possibility of salvation. Remember earlier he says he calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. We're told again that he knows his sheep. Jesus had a particular people in mind. He was going to die for particular sins. I know my sheep. Look at verse 15. Well, at verse 14 first, I am the good shepherd. He says it again. And I know my sheep and I am known by my own. What he says in the next statement gives us a sense of how great is that knowledge that he has for us. He says, as the father, this is it's a simile. As I know my sheep, it's like how I'm known by my father. As the father knows me, and so I know the father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. The knowledge that Jesus has of his own is intimate. The, the knowledge that he is the son has for the father, and that the father has for him the son, is unlike anything else. It is unique unto them, and yet Jesus says, I know my sheep. We'll see later in John 17 that this is exactly Christ's desire and what he came to do. Amazing that the father would seek to bring us into such a relationship with him through the son that we would be known as his father knows the son. That we would be known with that intimacy and to that degree. This is what Jesus came into the world to do. The father did not withhold the love that he had for his son from the sheep. It is through the the son that we come to know the love of the father and the love of the son. Remember Jesus always did the will of the father. When Jesus says... um, 
As the Father knows me, so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. This is the knowledge the Father has for the Son, and that the Son has for His Father. Remember, we've seen already in John 7 that He says, I only do what I see my Father doing. I only say what I hear my Father saying. There's this knowledge, this intimacy that Jesus has as man because He's full of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus speaks of how we too become a part of that. And so we see that the Good Shepherd died for His sheep. He died in their place. In verse 17 then, Jesus goes on, Therefore, my Father loves me because I lay down my life for the sheep that I may take it up again. The Father gave him, the Son of Man, that one that Paul refers to as the second Adam, authority, that is power to t- take his life and to lay it down, but also to then take it up again. Remember in the garden when one apostle records how when the, the troops came out to arrest Jesus, brought led by Judas, betraying them, asked who he, was, he asked them who he was seeking, he said, Jesus of Nazareth, and he said, I am. And what happened? They fell down. They were struck down, rendered so weak they could not stand up. And what we see in that vivid picture is that Jesus gave himself. He laid down his life. It was not taken from him. They didn't seize him and drag him away against his will. He went to the cross, even as he had agreed to, to give his life for us. He is the good shepherd. The scripture, just uh, just to keep it, uh, make a point here of the work of the Trinity, here we see that Jesus had authority to lay down his life and take it up again. Thus, Jesus raised himself. But the scripture also tells us that the Father raised the Son. And we're also told in another place that the Spirit raised the Son. And what we see is what we should expect, the complete harmony of the Trinity working in concert for the purpose that Jesus came into the world a good shepherd. He lays down his life for his sheep. Do we really grasp the magnitude of that? Do we really comprehend what we are? Wretched sinners, rebellious, disobedient, contrary to the will of God. We would not have sought God if he had not sought us out. We're not interested in life or salvation or attaining heaven. We're all about ourselves, busy making idols, serving our idols, running our own way. For as Paul writes in Romans 3, no one seeks after God. This is what we are apart from Christ. This is what we were doing. And yet God sent his son. And Jesus came willingly. The good shepherd came to seek out such a filthy, rotten, corrupt, despicable, we could just keep going with adjectives of what we were. And the good shepherd came to save such a people. Scripture says elsewhere, you know, would it be that someone might die for a man? It's possible that someone might do that. But what a wonder that God the Son would die for such a lot as we were. He's the good shepherd. He's good in every respect. He's good in his perfection. He's good in his holiness. He is good in his intentions, his motivations, his love is perfect and unending. There is every single thing about him that is good and goodness. And he came to save a people unworthy. Is he your shepherd? Have you heard the good shepherd's call? Have you heeded the call of Christ and yielded your life to him? Is Jesus your only hope in life and death?
May it be so for all of us. Well, moving on, we come then to consider the good shepherd's fold. We step back. We've skipped over verse 16. Jesus says, And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice. And there will be one flock and one shepherd. Jesus is speaking with full knowledge of the work that he came to do by, uh, the, by the word and the spirit. Jesus, again, let us remember, he was born as a human child. He has the humanity that we have. The only thing that was different, that he did not have the sin nature. And he had to learn. He had to grow. And he grew in wisdom and knowledge and favor with God and man. He grew in his understanding of the scriptures. And what would he have discovered in the scriptures? That he, as God the Word, had revealed to prophets of old that God would gather a people unto himself from every tribe, tongue, and nation. What was it that God promised to Abraham? That through his seed, every nation would be blessed. That Abraham would have descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. A great host, too many to number, known but unto God. So Jesus says, I have other sheep which are not of this fold. Now that's, if you're a Jew and you understand that, that's radical. It should not have been, but it was. They despised the other nations. The Gentiles were considered to them to be dogs, which is to be unclean. I'm not talking about little fuffy puppies like we have today. The dogs at that time were much like like I saw in Haiti. Just curs, mongrels, bone and ribs sticking out. Nothing fluffy about them. That's how the Jews viewed the nations around them. And Jesus says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. He says, and I'm going to go and gather them. I'm going to gather from the length and the breadth of the earth. I'm going to gather to myself a people. Because Jesus is the only way of salvation. And he has come not just for the Jews, but for the Gentiles. And that he will go and gather them. This is the Old Testament prophecy. Speak about the gospel going to the distant isles. Which is a way to speak of nations far, far away. For this was the promise that God made to Abraham. And Jesus says that I must bring them. And they will hear my voice. Did you notice that? I must bring them. And they will hear my voice. And there will be one flock and one shepherd. Paul writes this in Romans 10. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. Another way to speak the Gentiles. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear him without a preacher? See, Paul understands by the Spirit that Jesus gathering the sheep into his fold, those who are dispersed, is accomplished by the faithful preaching of the Word of God. This goes back to the need that we have faithful under-shepherds that rightly represent the good shepherd, not hired hands. And so... Let us pray for the faithful preaching of the word of God, that it would be sent forth throughout the world as far as the curse is found. Once more, we are reminded for the need then of faithful men, and that we should be praying for them. Men who would preach the word in season and out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort, with all long suffering and teaching. For as is recorded by Luke, Jesus' words in Luke chapter 10, for the harvest is truly great, but the laborers are fewer. Therefore pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. How is it that this is accomplished? Well, this is what Jesus has been doing through the preaching of the word down through the ages. The word of God goes forth. The spirit works with the word and sinners are convinced of their sin and misery. They're convicted 
of Christ being the only way of salvation, and they're drawn and brought to him by the powerful working of the Holy Spirit. Let us all bless God that the gospel has come to us. There's one more application that I would make at this point to us as the church of a whole. Matthew 28, the great commandment. I'm going to read it a little more literally from the Greek. As y'all are going... Y'all be making disciples of the nations. Y'all baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you all, always, even to the end of the age. This work of the gospel going forth. Christ is at work in the world today through the church. We are the body of Christ. He is the head. He is seated on high, uh, the throne of God concerning his humanity, but he is with us spiritually. He is with the church. We are the members of his body, and he has given it unto us. To go to the nations, making disciples as we go to work, as we go around our neighborhoods, making disciples, proclaiming Christ, so that all these sheep that are not yet in the fold would be brought into the fold. He says, them also I must bring. And how is it Christ brings them? Through us, bearing witness, living and speaking to the glory of God. Fourthly, we want to consider Briefly, the good shepherd secures his sheep. Now, where do we see that truth in the text? Where do I come up with this, that the good shepherd secures his sheep? Well, as we look back at the whole that we've covered thus far, we see the sheep are sinners that the Father has given to his Son. It's the will of the Father that the people that he's given to his Son should be saved. The Son is the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus has purchased us with his blood. We see that he calls each sheep by name. And they come. They know his voice. They obey his voice. And he brings them into his fold. We've been told that Jesus is the door or the gate of the fold. That he brings us in and there he is at the door to keep us safe. When danger comes, Jesus does not flee. He goes forth to protect us and to keep us. He remains at his post. Why? Because we're dear to him. We are his sheep. He has purchased us with his very life's blood. Therefore, we can say the good shepherd secures his sheep. He keeps his sheep. We are in him. My dear friends, be comforted and encouraged by that. Whatever may come, whatever disasters may befall us, whether they be natural disasters, whether they be economic disasters, whether they be war, whatever may come, we are his sheep. And we are securely kept in him. He's called us by name, and he keeps us securely in his fold. As Jesus said elsewhere, do not fear what man can do to you. He can only destroy your body. But rather fear the one who is in heaven who can destroy both body and soul and hell. But for us who are in Christ, that's not a reality. The only thing that man can do to us is take our life. And what we should remember is that Paul said to be absent for the body is to be present with the Lord. We are secure in Jesus. Our only hope in life and death is the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, as we come... To the fifth point, the good shepherd and division. Or we could say, I, I don't really sure the best way to put it, but the good shepherd brings division. He creates division. He provokes division. There's division connected with him, isn't there? Look at verse 19. Therefore, there was a division. So he said this. Therefore, in response to this, there was a division again amongst the Jews. Notice John says, again. When you hear that, are you thinking, you know what? We've heard that before, haven't we? Those same words. There was division among the Jews. Because of these sayings, verse 20, and many of them said, he has a demon and he's mad. 
Why do you listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who has a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? We're transported way back to when Jesus healed the man born blind. Flip back with me to John chapter 7 and verse 43. The occasion of the healing of the blind man. So there was a division among the people because of him. And then in John 9 verse 16. Therefore some of the Pharisees said this man does not keep the Sabbath. Others said this man who is a sinner. uh, How can a man who is a sinner do such things? And there was a division among them. Our friends, Jesus divides. You have heard me say from this pulpit many times, there's only two categories of people in the world. Those who are in Christ and those who are outside of Christ. There's no other option. You're either a, a lover of God because God first loved you and therefore you're seeking to follow him. Stumbling, halting, stammering, we go about our way, but you're in Christ. You're secure, as we said. You're in his fold. And then those who are without, those without hope in the world, There's only those two. And it's by the gospel, it is by Christ that that division is distinguished. John speaks to the Jews. This is his title for the religious establishment. It's amongst them that there's division. You know what? That's encouraging. These are the religious leaders, but they're divided. There's not an agreement. Some say he has a demon. In the sense of the text is, therefore he is mad. And indeed, to have a demon would drive you mad, as you can find in other places in the gospel. But others say they don't agree with that. They, they cannot countenance. They can't agree that this would be so. Because he says, these are not the words of one who has a demon. In other words, they're not the words of a madman. There's something reasonable about it. And indeed, if they knew their scriptures would say, you know what, there's something about what he's saying that is the fulfillment of the prophecy. We should expect such a one to come. And furthermore, as if to clinch the matter In their minds, they used the same argument of the man who was blind that Jesus had healed when he spoke before the Jews. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Surely the answer is no. I'm going to refer to the one group as the haters. They ask, why do you listen to him? The listeners, on their part, are logical. And so they reply, It's not logical to think that someone who has a demon can open blind eyes. My friends, people are still divided over Jesus today. Jesus said it would always be so. Matthew 10, he said, Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be those of his own household. That's division. And what divides them? Are they in Christ? Are they apart from Christ? It will always be so. Some of you know this full well. You dwell in families that are divided over Christ. Some who are in Christ and some who are not. You confess Christ. You share Christ. And there are those in your family that would ostracize you, despise you. You live differently. You talk differently. You spend your money differently. God has given you a new heart in Christ. You don't live like the rest of the family. You believe that he's coming again and he will gather you up into heaven and be with the Father forever and ever. There will necessarily be divisions. The good shepherd laid down his life for you. And you want others to know it. But in order for them to come, they must first recognize they're sinners. And that divides men. For that's where it begins. The recognition, I am a sinner. And then, as the tax collector who beat upon his chest, 
God have mercy on me, a sinner. And for all who pray such, he does. Amen. Let us pray. Oh, Lord God, we do praise you and thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, our good shepherd. We thank you that he came into the world to save sinners and that you have appointed us for salvation. Not because we are wise, not because we were wealthy, not because we are powerful, for indeed we're not. But because it pleased you before the foundation of the earth to elect a people unto yourself and give them to your son. Father, we thank you that when Christ went to the cross, he carried our names written upon his hands. And he carried the sin burden of our lives upon his shoulders. And he laid down his life for us. That he has purchased us with his blood. And the salvation that he has secured for us is forevermore. Father, we marvel. And we only know what we are in part. You know in us completely what we were. And yet you were pleased to save us. We bless you, O God, for so great a salvation. And for so great a savior our good shepherd, Jesus Christ. We pray in his name, amen.